Welcome to the Toddversation, a Toddcast. Once more, into the fire swamp. My father might have been described as a gun nut. I didn't think so. He was just dad. My dad had a collection of clever sayings and he wasn't afraid to repeat himself. One of them that he always spoke with sincere and earnest gravity was, boys, daddy's guns are always loaded. This is what gun control looked like in our household. Daddy's guns are always loaded. Well, that's true. And there were many. In fact, they inhabited nearly every room in the house. There was a gun stashed in each room at a convenient place should the other ever enter. When we were in high school, my brother and I had too much time on our hands. And my father, who enjoyed conflict, was having a bit of a pissing match with a neighbor with whom he shared an easement. My father would regale us at dinner with stories about how this neighbor had threatened him with a pitchfork. And boy, the next time that guy says a word to me, I'm going to dot, 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 fill in the blank. There was a whole lot of, boy, the next times, and I'm going to happen at our dinner table. Well, one day while we were watching stupid television, Joker's Wild or something back in the day, and I'm sitting in my father's lazy boy chair, my mind, my teenage mind starts wandering about the possibilities of urban combat in my father's house. I'm like, hey, Tim. That's my brother's name. What do you think would happen if our crazy neighbor burst in, ran down the hallway, came into this room with a pitchfork? Think I could pull dad's pistol out of the pocket of this chair before he stuck me? Tim says, you know, I don't know. Let's find out. So my brother dutifully picks up the broom, which will suffice for a pitchfork. And I reach into the pocket of the large and worn lazy boy chair, pull out a 38 caliber snub nose pistol, empty it, and we commence to role play. And it moves all over the house. Well, what about this? What about this? And Two teenage boys, plethora of guns, and way too much time spent in the imagination of Louis L'Amour. Well, you get the picture. My imagination, though, exceeds that of my brothers. I like to tell him that. And he grew tired of it, and he was done. And pistols started being put away, including the 357 Magnum, the 38 
and the Ruger 22. We meander upstairs. I'm still in role playing. My brother's not. And he has taken that Ruger 22. He has reloaded it. He has set it back where it belongs in the spare bedroom, which is where he's staying. And he's ignoring me. I'm still full on into it. I'm like, hey, what would happen if we, and I go into a quick draw scenario. My brother continues to ignore me. I grab a now loaded 22 caliber six shooter. Dare my brother to a fast draw. He ignores me. I drop the sock, it hits. I slap leather and come up blazing. And from about five, maybe six feet away, I squeeze one off as the muzzle of that revolver raises. And I put a bullet right through my brother. Clean in and out in the hip. Now we've all watched lots of movies where there are gunfights inside a house and they do not do justice to the volume, the shock, the amount of smoke or the eerie ring that happens when you fire, when you discharge a pistol in a small room. And I stood there with a smoking gun in my hand, staring at my brother who yells, Ow! You shot me! And so I had. I'm staring at him. He's starting to leak. And I think, oh, what have I done? People describe blue moments and car accidents and times of trauma when it all slows down or it all gets so surreal. And the stupid things that come to your mind that you recall later or don't. And I thought, oh my gosh, don't bleed on the carpet. I dropped the pistol. I run to the bathroom, four steps. I grab a towel. I come back and I hand it to my brother. He presses it on the in wound and the out wound. And I say, don't bleed on the carpet. Smoke still fills the room. It stinks. I don't know what to do. So I bail and I go into the next room, which was my room. And I remember leaning my hands on the windowsill, which we hadn't finished. And putting my forehead against the window, which was cold because it was raining outside. And I began to pray, Lord, I can't take this. This is too heavy. You've got to take this from me. Do like Aaron in the Old Testament. Rewind just a little bit. And I will be yours for the rest of my life. I will never doubt or disobey. It didn't happen. Panic is arising in me. Wild thoughts. One I recall was, Oh my gosh, and I'm still a virgin. I don't remember all that day. There are blank spots. I don't remember calling the cops, but I do remember standing outside, waving them in and 
regretting and agonizing over how loud the sirens were and how many fancy big cars with lights and sirens responded to the call of a domestic shooting. I also recall with horror watching all those large men with big hats and belt buckles and firearms and disgusted and slightly amused looks tromping into the house that was decorated and commandeered by my evil step monster, knowing they were taking the earth in, the dirt, the mud, the soil, and knowing that her carpet was white. I don't remember the ride in the ambulance to the hospital. It was all quite fuzzy. But before I entered the ambulance, I remember seeing a sheriff's deputy with the offending firearm, my father's prized Ruger Blackhawk single action 22 caliber pistol in his hands as he took it for evidence. We were in the emergency room and my brother is on a gurney and he's all propped up and he's got bandages on and I'm standing there stupidly wondering what's coming next. You know, things you don't think about, like when someone gets shot, what happens to the clothing? Turns out when a bullet pierces clothing and enters flesh, it takes clothing with it. It leaves a trail. This is a primary source of infection and trauma later. So when you've got a clean in and out, like my brother did in his hip, and I really should have shot him in the chest, dead center, maybe two or three shots you could cover with a playing card, like Louis L'Amour would say. But I squeezed one off early. Came time to clean the wound. And I'll be damned if they didn't take a turkey baster, fill it full of saline, and stick it in the injury, and then start squeezing it. I'm watching my brother's face while they're doing this. And he's staring right at me. Needless to say, he is not happy. But he's keeping it cool. I've had tough chicken. My brother's tough. He's tough like last Tuesday's chicken. And he stayed tough even as the exit hole started releasing saline which started coming out clear, then it started coming out red, and then it stopped coming out. And you could see a bulge emerging on the side of his hip because there was a blockage. And that's when he got vocal. Making sounds that one might not describe as overly masculine. I nearly threw up and left the room. With my brother screaming in the next room, I found myself leaning against the wall. When a nurse approached me and she looked at me and she said, I wonder if somebody has called somebody's parents 
to explain to somebody's parents how somebody's day went today. I looked at her and I said, no way. She said, don't you think it's time you call your father? I'm like, nope, not going to do that. She's like, you got to call someone, son. So I called the evil step monster. Now I used to call her at work, just a bugger. And that worked. So when I called her this time at work and she picked up, she's like, what do you want? I said, well, I, I shot Tim. God damn it. I'm so tired of you kids always calling me. That's bullshit. I'm going to talk to your dad. This is it. I've had it. Bah, bah, bah. Slowly, I pulled the phone away from my ear. And the nurse can hear the rant. And I just offer the phone to the nurse. The nurse slowly brings the phone up nearly to her ear. And then when there's a pause, the nurse says, Hello? you can hear dead silence and then you can hear more yelling and the nurse says, yes, this is nurse. So-and-so yes, we are in the emergency room. Yes, there's been a shooting. And then I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. I hear just wait till I tell your father. Ah. And my heart at that point fell out of my chest, dropped out of my ass, and laid there on the emergency room floor. This has been Shooting Tim, part one.